Friday. Let's see, man. Yeah, man. John, get a seat again, man. Feeling good tonight wearing my Michael Jackson tribute shoes tonight. So it's been a sad week. I was the seven-year-old that, w- that had the glove. Anyone else here? Awesome. Feel good about that. Uh, I know for many of like you guys, especially in this section, a lot of segregation here tonight, uh, pretty much amidst the amidst the the sections, you know. So that's cool. Maybe we can work on that for next week. But I know, so I know it's a little bit before your time. But dude, Billie Jean just rocked my world when I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? The Thriller video. Oh my goodness, you know. So I, uh, anyway, that has nothing to do with anything, but I was just thinking about it. How, how many of you guys like uh, the Bee of Apples? Anyone like Applebee's here? Okay, good. Uh, half-price appetizers, anyone? Yeah? What's your favorite half-price appetizer? Anybody? The mozzarella sticks? Those are tasty yum-yums. Anything else? The nachos? Yeah, the little con queso things? Yeah. Uh, I, I want to pose a little uh, Bee of Apples hypothetical situation for you, if we will. So tonight, uh, after the church gathering, you head to Applebee's to hook up some half-price appetizers with your friends. And you're sitting there, and uh, the waitress, you guys begin this dialogue. It's interesting dialogue. And she asks why there is a group of you gathered. And one of you responds with, well, 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 we just just got done with church. And so we're here, uh, and we're cheap, and so we're hooking up some half-price appetizers, you know? You like that? And she's like, yeah. So it's an encouraging moment. And she happens to respond with, oh, really, you go to church? Well, so do I. And she spouts off the church that she goes to. And there is this instantaneous somewhat of a connection between you and the waitress because you both go to church. Now, she comes back and refills your drinks, and then she brings out the mozzarella sticks, and you guys are small chatting because you feel connected now, right? I mean, you're like, yeah, church, yeah, right, right, right. And, uh, and then she comes back, and you're like, you know what, I notice... That you, that you don't look like you're feeling all that well tonight. Is everything okay? And she responds with this. She says, yeah, I, you know, God must be getting back at me because I didn't go to church last Sunday, so I think I'm just not feeling good, you know? Hey, have you guys ever been cornered by the you know? You know? Like, yeah, God, you know, he just must be like pounding me because wasn't in attendance on Sunday. Something's happening here, you know? And you're like, I, I, have you ever been cornered by the you know, the Christian you know. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know. Well, that moment is exactly why John wrote what he wrote and what we've been studying last week. You see, uh, we've been learning about from last week in First John chapter 4 what it means to test the spirits. And in that moment, what the waitress communicated, God's getting back at me because I didn't show up in attendance. There should be a certain angst in your soul that says, no, I don't know. Like, like, what do you mean by that? And it's testing what is being communicated to see whether or not it is Scripture. And in John's day and age, so many false prophets had entered the land that it was key that at every moment anyone who attributed some message to God that his readers would test it against the scriptures. We learned two things primarily last week. The first one is that you, Christian, in the room, are empowered, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and so because of that, you have the power within you to test spirits. Uh, just turn to your neighbor and say, no, never mind, don't do that. I, I pause there. Retract that. The second thing we learned, (laughs) you're like, what was he going to say? I'll tell you later. Ask me, right? 
The, the second thing we learned is the process of discernment. Now, the first process that we said with the waitress, for instance, the first thing that should be going through your mind is, where is Scripture that would either confirm or deaffirm what she's saying? And so you're going through mentally all the passages that you've memorized, that you've learned, that you've, um, that you've studied. And so that, that's, the, that's the first thing. Okay, does God get back at us if we don't go to church? Or is, does God punish us? And you're going through the passages. At first, you don't come up with much. And so the second process is you would go home and you would get out your word and you would begin to, to test what the waitress said from the scriptures. Now what we said last week is the reality is most Christians don't know much of the word. And the second reality about most Christians is that, is that they're lazy. So they're not just spiritually shallow, but they're also spiritually lazy. And so what we learn, the third part of the process of testing spirits, is simply discernment. That's where we jump to, unfortunately, without having the evidence of Scripture. And so, my friends, what I'm saying is, we oftentimes discern incorrectly. If we would have just tested it against Scripture, we would learn that discernment never goes against the Word of God. Ever, ever, ever. And so in the moment with the waitress, I'm sifting uh, through certain passages and I'm like, I know something in my spirit, but I need the word. And it's that that we learned last week. And so tonight we're going to journey through uh, testing the spirits part dose. Again, the bilingual portion of the evening. So open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew right in front of you. Now, there's going to be a lot of interesting things that happen in this passage, so I hope that you are ready to roll with us. Are you guys all there? Say, I'm there. Wonderful. Look at the enthusiasm tonight. Amazing group of people. You're fired up by the Applebee's. Here we go. Verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Put up verse 4. Uh, crazy thing about this passage, I don't know much about literary devices, but what I do know is this, in these three verses, there are 11 pronouns. You guys know what a pronoun is? Me either. All right, now check this out. Check this out. There's four of them in this first verse. What we're going to do, the map for tonight, is in each of these three verses, we're going to replace, in a creative way with a green font, we're going to replace each of the pronouns with what they really mean. Then the second thing that we're going to do is, what is John saying from this verse specifically to his readers in Asia Minor at this particular time in history? And then the third thing we're going to do is, is we're going to answer, why should we care? All right, so you guys with the path. So first step is what? Pronouns. You guys with me? Okay, little children, English majors, you. That's a pronoun, right? Noah told me that, I, right? So little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Well, who could the you be here? Who is he writing to? He's writing to Christians in Asia Minor, the churches, many churches in Asia Minor. And so the you here, next slide, will replace with Christians. The green font comes up later. Wait for it, all right? So little children, Christians are from God and have overcome them. There's many interesting things about the word overcome. We'll hold off on that. But first, the them. Little children, Christians are from God and have overcome 
them. Well, what is he talking about in the first three uh, verses of chapter 4? He's talking about the false prophets. In fact, he says, there are many false prophets who have gone into the world. So the them must be false prophets. Nice. Do you, you like that? That was magic. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Okay. He who is in me. One of the amazing, uh, one of the amazing parts of 1 John is over and over and over, he is constantly teaching on the Holy Spirit. I love that, don't you? I love the opportunity that we've had in this particular text to really learn about what God's seed is. And that's what John calls it, which has been implanted to all believers, sealing us, protecting us, so that he, next slide, is the Holy Spirit who is in you is greater than he, Satan, who is in the world. Ooh, there it was. Bam. Did you like that? The green. There it is. So let's read it again now. Little children, Christians are from God and have overcome the false prophets. For the Holy Spirit who is in you is greater than Satan who is in the world. You guys all with all of the pronouns. Second question. What is he saying to John's readers? If you haven't been joining us at all, quick. This area of the world has been infiltrated with heretical teaching, primarily teaching that is distracting his readers, or at least attempting to distract his readers, from right Christology. If you spend any time here at Matthias, you know we place a ridiculous amount of value in having right Christology. And so 1 John is a perfect passage for us to learn and study. The first thing that John wants to teach his readers is he wants to assure them of the victory that they have already experienced. This is uh, typical of John. He writes, he challenges. dead. Maybe we should check that before the service. They have tried to distract you but you have overcome them. Listen to this. The Greek word of overcome is to walk away in victory. It's this amazing connection with the access that we have as Christians. So if you're like me and you hear the word victory, you instantly like want to paint your face blue and stick your sword in the air, right? 
You're like, yeah, tadao. That's what I'm talking about. Christian victory. You see it up there? You know, and you're spouting off this passage to all your non-Christian friends. I've overcome you. No, no, no. That's not quite what he's saying here. What he's assuring his readers is just what Jesus has already said. Look at this in John chapter 16. Look at this. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus says. So the instantaneous reaction for us as Christians is to think that we have overcome something. The problem is, is that John tells us why we have done any overcoming. Why? Little children, Christians are from God. First thing, you are from God. We introduced, I think Jason did uh, several months ago, this idea of regeneration. That by being born of God, by being saved by grace, through faith, through the gospel of Christ, we are regenerated, given new life. That's why scripture says, you are new creation, the old has gone, and the new has come. You're from God. So the reason, the, one of the first reasons that you overcome false teaching and are able to test the spirits is you have the very deed, you are born of God. The second thing is why? For the Holy Spirit who is in you, you have the Holy Spirit. So that's why you have overcome them. So if he's writing this and the people are listening, they're instantly assured of the greatness of God. This is nothing that I have done. This is nothing that I have attained. But this is all what God is working in victory because of his namesake. Are you guys with me? So the first thing that he does is he assures his readers that they have already overcome them. They have already experienced. The second thing that he does is he reassures them of the hierarchy structure, the power hierarchy structure. He that is in you. By the way, how many of you guys have been praying the prayer calendar? Any of you guys? You, you would have noticed that today what we've been praying for is that God would reveal that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. The second thing that John does is he wants to remind his readers of what the power structure is in the world. Let me tell you something. If your power is temporary, and if you only have power because you're allowed to, let me tell you something, that means there's someone more powerful than you. That's the picture of where God and Satan sit. Satan's called the ruler of the world, the kingdom of the air. These are traits that are given to him by God, or better, better phrased, allowed to have by God for a temporary time so that Christ, in the end, can get the victory. So the second thing he does is he shows his readers, look, those that are, he that is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he that is in the world. So, 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 for me, um, I look at the word, the word greater, and I'm like, all right, so is he saying that, that Satan is great? Because he doesn't use the word better. See what I'm saying? So if he, if he said, he that is in you is better than he that is in the world, then we would say, is Satan bet? Right? right? Like, that, that's how we would naturally phrase it. So if he uses the word greater then my question is, is Satan great? He's been given power. And John wants his readers 
to be on guard against that power. So is his power great? A little, little bit of semantics, but what we do know is this, is that our God is greater. So no matter where the power of Satan lands, no matter where Satan's existence is, our God is constantly, always greater. Isn't that an assurance for us tonight, church? Now, there is a difference between being on guard and being fearful. What I mean by that is, like if you're reading this right now, and you're like, man, John, he's talking about all the spiritual, demonic stuff. And so for me, I sit back and I'm like, does John want his readers just to be completely fearful of the spirits that are around? No, no, no. What he wants his readers to be is on guard. Listen to this. Have you ever fought a battle that you knew you'd win already? Any of you guys ever played an athletic game that you knew you would win? That'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? And oftentimes, there was this one team that we played my senior year in high school in basketball. They were horrible. They were like 0 and 100 that year, right? They had put up like 10 points a game. Seriously, they were horrible, right? I won't say the name of the town, Livingston, Illinois. And um, that, that particular town showed up in our gym. They hadn't won a game all year. But because we had underestimated them, becoming overconfident, they came and gave us a great game. Because we weren't on guard, Right? The image that John wants his readers to have is, have your feet fitted with readiness. Be on guard, ready. And no matter what comes at you, no matter what comes at you, guess what? He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Your victory has already been won. So don't sit back lazily in the couch, fearful, but have your confidence in Christ. Third question. Why should we care? Just turn to your neighbor. Why should we care? Come on. Yeah. Here's why we should we here's why we should care. There is a difference between truth and hope. Uh, let me explain. I hope that my kids come to Christ one day. See what I'm saying? I hope that God saves my children. Really do. I hope that I pray that, desire that. I hope this church Matthias's lot continues to be a Christ-focused, gospel-centered church. I hope that. I hope that Piney Ridge and August Gate just straight slay it. I hope that we continue to make disciples who are made. I hope all these things. This word in this particular passage has nothing to do with hope. It has everything to do with truth. Let me tell you something. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world, is not a hope, it's truth. And I feel like sometimes when we look at the scripture, we look at it just through the lens of hope. Oh, I hope all these things are true. I hope they may come true one day. This is truth. You can rest in the fact that the Holy Spirit who is inside of you is greater than he that is in the world. 100% of the time. Friends, isn't that brilliant? Isn't that amazing? Listen to this. God's sovereignty reveals the truths of who God is. As his plan is fleshed out, it reveals more and more and more of his truth and how it's realized. Listen, how many of you would instantly look at this passage and say, oh, that's, that's, that's nice. 
That's a nice passage to hope in. Or how many of you look at these beautiful green letters and say, no, 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 that is truth. The last question that I have for you guys in this particular verse is how do you know? How do you know that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world? Bible tells me so. Okay, good one. Yeah, right. How do you know? What are the victories right now that God is accomplishing in your life that causes you to know and trust that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world? Check out these two guys who responded to that question.
So how do you know? How do you know that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world? Can I tell you something? When you begin to reflect on the victories that God, yes, God, not you, is accomplishing in your life right now, it brings you to this instantaneous state of worship. And I'm not saying just singing. But you stand in awe of a great God who is accomplishing his work in your life. And if there isn't something that's humbling about that, then I'm not sure what is. That a great God can overcome whatever it is through the power of the blood of Jesus in your existence. So I ask you, how do you know that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world? Verse 5. Check this out. Back to your swords. There are, they are from the world, and therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Verse 5. Okay, uh, quick uh, attention here is there's three more pronouns. They, they, and them. Do you guys see them? Now, it just so happens conveniently for us in this moment that the they, they, and them are all the same pronoun. They all mean the same thing. Anyone want to take a guess in a quick moment of interaction as to what the they, they, and them might be? Yeah, the false prophets. Green, there it is. Beautiful. The false prophets are from the world. Therefore, the false prophets speak from the world. And the world listens to them. Now, there is a whole lot of work that we have to do in this verse. And it starts with this. What has John said so far about the world? First thing he said is this. He said in, in John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world. One of the things that he's trying to communicate over and over and over to his readers is that they are not to love the world. Second thing is this. Is He says, do not love not just the world, but the things of the world. Uh, thirdly, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is from the world. So he gives a little bit of meat and potatoes to what he's talking about the world is. Next slide. He says the world and its desires in verse 17 of chapter 2 are what? are passing away. I don't know if you're getting the picture yet, but there is a clear distinction between what John is talking about is from the world and what is from God. In chapter 3, he says this, Christians should not be surprised that the what? That the world hates them. And in this verse, he makes a clear distinction between what the world is and what Christians are. So my question from all of this and from the text, go back to verse 5, is this. What does it mean to speak from the world? If the false prophets are from the world and they're speaking from the world and the world listens to them, then what does it mean to speak from the world? Well, anyone who's not a believer... And everyone, even before Christ, is born into this depraved, sinful nature, which is entirely sinful, is anti-repentant, 
is filled with the things that the father of lies has and has been doing since the beginning, John tells us. And so to speak from the world is to speak out of that nature, out of that sin nature that is so controlling. If you talk to Sam, one of the things that he communicates about his six years of drugs is that that sin nature was so gripping. And only because of the power of Christ was that grip released. And isn't that awesome to see Sam and to know the grip was released? Everybody? Yeah. So to speak from the world is to speak from that sinful nature. Now let me show you something. I don't care whether you grow up in some some tribe in Africa. Anyone? Right? I don't care if you grew up in Abu Dhabi, right? Anyone? Is that a real place, Noah? All right. I, I don't care if you're from Canada, if you're from France, we're praying for you. I don't care. I don't care no, no matter where you're from. The worldly language is in one dialect. The world, no matter where you're from, no matter what culture you're a part of, it speaks in one dialect. And that dialect is self-glorification, is self-righteousness, is self-edifying. That is the language of the world. That's what it means to speak from the world. It's to speak a message that is self-glorifying, puts you on the throne, that is self-righteous, you earn anything that comes to you, and that's self-edifying. It's all about my encouragement and the warm fuzzies that come from it. The world's language is in one dialect. And so what he's saying to his readers is, of course, they would listen to him. Because they're speaking a message that is completely anti-gospel. Can I tell you guys something? The gospel hinders the worldly language. We always think about it in the other way. We're always like, the world is trying to hinder all of us as Christians. Isn't it amazing that the gospel hinders the worldly message? Because the worldly message is all self, is all me, is all I. And the premise of the gospel is it has nothing, nothing to do with you and all about him. Isn't anyone a little bit jacked right now to understand the premise that the great gospel we believe in hinders that worldly dialect. I love it. And that is why, my friends, it is so joyful to follow Christ. Because we get to watch Christ change hearts from being so self-focused to so Him-glorifying. They speak from the world, and the world listen. Let me... One of the toughest things for us as Christians is to look around our culture and to see that some of the biggest churches in America are preaching a self-glorifying, self-righteous message. Can you see why they have the biggest crowd? Now, I'm not saying there aren't some huge churches that are throwing down because there are. But some of the biggest churches in America and in the world 
are churches that are built on heresy and churches that are communicating, uh, come on in. Man, it feels so good in here. We're together. It's just, it's you and you're going to get better. And you're going to, you'll see such improvement instead of no here. All we do is we glorify a great God who by his power and his grace changes us. You see the difference? Now, why should we care? Can I tell you why we should care? When I was 18 years old, some of you guys have been in this position before. When I was 18 years old, I was a give me, give me Jesus or give me death guy. That was me. All right. I, in fact, my, at my interview of a, my first youth pastor job when I was 22, I was interviewing at a traditional church. And I showed up in the interview, and I, the very first thing I did was I took my tie off, and I tied it around my head like a Rambo bandana, and I went to it, you know? I mean, I was just, I was just a give-me-Jesus or give-me-death guy. I was just like, I don't care about anything else. And listen to this. Earlier in my childhood, earlier in my teenager, dumb, people would want to talk like deeper things of theology with me. We, we try to have discussions. They'd be like, okay, so Sigma, we can tell you, like, you really love Jesus, and that's great, you know? But that was a kung fu kick over here, right? Like, I can tell you really love Jesus, but tell me, like, what your theological convictions are. Theological convictions? What are you talking about? Dude, give me Jesus or give me death. Like, what are you talking about? What's my theology, right? Thankfully, God provided some men in my life that began to challenge my theology, and the word, mostly, began to breathe. I was having a conversation um, a while ago with an individual, and we were talking about discipleship. We were wrestling through some different things, and I asked the individual, I said, so tell me what, what your theological convictions are. And this is a guy that's you know, in leadership and doing some different things. And he said, what do you mean? What's theology? Well, you know, it's your view of God. Your view of God is central to everything. Well, we're just, I'm just not really interested in theology. And I saw my younger self making a fatal error. Your theology is central to your, your view of God is central to everything else that's happening. And do you understand if you bring some weak sauce theology, some shallow theology, some non-biblical understanding of who God is, do you understand how your ears will be tickled by a worldly message? Because you're not rooted in the foundation of Christ. The foundation of the gospel will constantly remind you that you are not worth it. But because of who he is, all of a sudden he gives you worth to the Father. That's a gospel. I sit back and say, thank you God for opening my eyes to your reality. So look, I don't know if you're in here and you're like, theology doesn't matter. I would say that in and of itself is heretical. Your view of God is central. So why should we care about this? Because if we are weak-minded, not yielding to the Spirit, our ears will be tickled by a worldly message, and all of a sudden we'll find ourselves reading books, being influenced by Christian writers, being influenced by Christian preaching, in quotation marks, that is ultimately putting all the onus on you. Do you guys understand the problem? So John wanted his readers... To make it very clear, look, the world is listening to them because it's the worldly message. Don't be confused, church. How have you found yourself susceptible to the worldly message? 
In what areas of your life have you found yourself vulnerable to the tickling of the ear that makes you feel better about yourself? How many of you go to work every day because ultimately you love the way that it makes you feel about yourself? How many of you are raising kids because ultimately you love the fact that they need you and it makes you feel good about yourself? How many of you love the fact when people encourage you because it makes you feel better about yourself? When will we as a church realize this has nothing to do with us making each other feel better about ourselves, but us together saying, God, only because of you, only because of your cross, only because of your worth, are we anything? That's the gospel, and that's why theology is important. And so what you're going to constantly hear from this particular pulpit in this particular church is God is accomplishing his will by his power alone and for his glory alone. And he allows you, by his grace and mercy, to see glimpses of that. Anyone? Amen? Right? That's what we're doing here. Verse 6. Look in your scriptures. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. First thing, the pronouns. Put up verse 6 for us. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Quick commercial break. If you're reading this verse, it should instantly intrigue you because it says whoever listens to us, right? You're like, hold on. What was all this talk about strong theology? And then all of a sudden John's like, Nope, whoever listens to us, they listen to you. Interesting to note here. This uh, verse is one of the pieces of the, of the Catholic doctrine. And one of the verses that in Catholic doctrine claims right doctrine. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. The problem with that piece is that that's not what it's talking about. The we... And the us, and the us, and the we are all-encompassing Christians. Is it alluding to the apostolic teaching? Of course. The apostles have come in to Asia Minor, including John, and they have preached a message. So yes, it is encompassing in the we of the apostles, but it's more than that. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Why? Because whoever is not from God does not listen to us because what we're speaking is the message of the apostles, which is a right theology, right Christology-focused message. So put up the green for me. Christians are from God. Whoever knows God listens to Christians. Whoever is not from God does not listen to Christians. By this, Christians know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here's what's dicey. Is the people that claim Christianity and aren't Christians at all. This is why this verse is tricky. And this is what was happening in John's day. Is that there were many people who were completely counterfeit, but were giving the impression that they were believers and that people should be listening to us. But what John is saying is, no, 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 no. It's the apostolic teaching, the things that we communicated from the beginning. How many times has he said that? Remember what we shared from the beginning. 
And what you'll find, listen to this, what you'll find is when Christians are communicating the gospel to one another constantly, it stirs your spirit to hear the truth. Listen, don't you love the conversations that you get in? When people are sharing the victories that God is winning and it's bringing God glory, doesn't it just stir in you? There's a reason for that. It's because we're in one spirit talking about the things of God. Whoever is not from God does not listen to Christians because like 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. But to those who believe, it's the power of God. One of the other things that he's saying to his readers here, and I want you guys to understand this, is that the things that you despised pre-Jesus, you now love. In other words, maybe you experienced this. Pre-Jesus, a message of repentance, a message that you were sinful, a teaching that you were depraved, a teaching that you're worthless outside of Christ. Do you remember what you thought about that message? Anyone? Some of you in here are not believers at all. And you're like, yep, feeling pretty, you know, kind of hating that message right now, you know? Do you remember what it was? You despised it. You despised hearing that you were sinful, that this isn't about you, because you were caught up in speaking from the world and listening from that worldly perspective. You despised it. The amazing thing about the gospel is that the things you once despised, you now love. Remind me again that I am depraved and in need of the cross of Christ. Thank you for that reminder. Whereas before, you'd have been like, please, don't even speak that in my presence. Is anyone else right now just standing a little bit in awe of our great God, huh? Listen, do you understand in John's day that a message like this would have not just, listen, assured the Christians but it would have empowered them to unite and continue to battle fearlessly against false teaching that would preach an anti-gospel message. My question for you is, is that your reaction? Do, are the things that are anti-gospel infuriate you? Are you ready to dig in the scriptures so that you have something to stand by when bad theology comes at you? Is that the way we will respond? Is we will unite and we will be assured and we will move into an offensive battle, not a defensive reaction battle, an offensive battle against bad teaching and false prophets in this world right now. Are you with me? Now we've learned three things overall from First uh, John chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. The first thing we've learned is we have the ability to test spirits due to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You, 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 Christians in this room have that ability. That in and of itself is incredibly empowering. The second thing that we've learned is this. The spirit of error, when tested, will fail against Scripture. A hundred percent of the time. The spirit of error will fail against Scripture. And not just that, but what John's been focusing more in this passage is, and the fruit of the false messenger will prove itself to be anti-gospel. Maybe you know some false messengers. 
who eventually fell from grace, they call it. Well, why did they fall? Because the gospel wasn't rooted in their life. Fall from what? They were worldly before. Why aren't they worldly now? Do you see what I'm saying? If they're claiming Christianity, what John is saying is the evidence will be in the fruit. Their life will represent it. The third thing we've learned is this. We can trust in the truth, not just the hope, that because of Christ, we have victory already. It's already been won. So what do we do in a world that we're Oprah's putting on spirituality 101 in a new age culture where people don't know even how to talk about spirit? What do we do? Here's what we do. We keep coming back to the Word of God that will always reveal the truth. And we, because of Christ, will have victory. Continual victory. Here's what I want to ask. How do you know? The band's going to come up. And I want you to sit in that pew. And I want you to ask yourself this question. How do you know that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world? How do you know? Minus the Bible tells me so. What are the victories that God is winning right now in your life that reveals his power and his grace and his mercy in your life? What are they? How do you know? It's these things that we need to be talking about all of the time. So I want you to sit in that pew and I want you to take a few minutes and just reflect on the power of Christ. Just kill all those lights for me. Let's just, let's take some time just reflecting on the power of God.